Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on today's conference call to discuss JAMP's third quarter 2020 financial results. With me on today's call are Dean Hager, JAMP's Chief Executive Officer, and Jill Putman, the company's Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that shortly after the market closed today, JAMP issued a press release announcing its third quarter 2020 financial results. Additionally, we published an updated investor presentation. You may access the press release and presentation on the Investor Relations section of JAMP.com. Today's discussion may include forward-looking statements. Please refer to our most recently filed quarterly report on Form 10-Q and our IPO prospectus dated July 21, 2020, where you will see a discussion of factors that could cause the company's actual results to differ materially from these statements. I would also like to remind you that during the call, we will discuss some non-GAAP measures related to JAMP's performance. You can find the reconciliation of those measures to the nearest comparable GAAP measures in our quarterly financial statements. To ensure we can address as many analyst questions as possible during the call, we ask that you please limit your questions to one initial question and one follow-up. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Dean Hager. Dean? Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on our third quarter earnings call. For our call today, I will share highlights from the quarter and then provide an update about the exciting momentum in our business. I'll finish with a recap of our annual user conference before turning it over to Jill to review our third quarter financials. While a challenging macroeconomic environment persists, the tailwinds of telehealth, distance learning, and remote work in the third quarter offset economic headwinds and drove strong jam sales, growth, and customer acquisition. Total revenue in the third quarter grew 29% year-over-year to $70.4 million, driven by recurring revenue growth of 40% year-over-year to $65.8 million, now 93% of total revenue. Annual recurring revenue, or ARR, was $261.5 million, growing 37% year-over-year. Non-GAAP operating income was $12 million in the quarter, or 17% of revenue. This was a half-point decrease over the third quarter of 2019. And unlevered free cash flow totaled $28.2 million in the third quarter, representing an unlevered free cash flow margin of 40%. This compares with a margin of 33% for third quarter 2019. Our strong third quarter results reflect the continuing trend of IT consumerization that fuels the growth of Apple in the enterprise. This trend where employees demand to use at work the technology they already love at home has accelerated over the past six months. JAMP has responded by helping thousands of organizations around the globe implement remote work solutions, as well as helping schools with distance learning and hospitals with their telehealth solutions. JAMP's value to customers and our business results continue to strengthen as these trends further root themselves into daily life, both in the short term and far into the future. Despite the challenges of 2020, JAMP remains dedicated to our customer success and we have continued to invest in new features and enhancements that fulfill our mission to help succeed with Apple. 
As organizations work hard to provide a safe environment for their teams and customers, technology plays an, technology plays an important role across industries like retail, transportation, and healthcare. JAMP continues to support this effort and gain momentum with our innovative products, such as JAMP Setup and JAMP Reset, that enable shared yet personalized usage of iPhones and iPads. And for workflows specifically designed for hospitals, JAMP's Healthcare Listener integrates with a hospital's electronic medical record system and listens for messages like a patient discharge or transfer and automatically performs the desired remote command like wiping the device or associating the device with all of the connected things in a patient's new hospital room. This workflow uses iPads to create a better and more engaged experience for the patient without requiring time or effort from the IT or hospital staff. JAMP's virtual visit solutions, which launched weeks after the COVID-19 outbreak, allows patients to seamlessly and securely connect with doctors and their families through third-party video meeting platforms like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. UC Health in Colorado is just one hospital using all of these innovations. In 2018, UC Health began using JAMP to streamline their technology management and practices by offering an iPad at each patient's bedside. They utilize Healthcare Listener, JAMP Setup, and JAMP Reset to digitally sterilize the device between each patient and easily set it up for the next patient without the need for IT assistance. As virtual care needs spiked, this quarter UC Health started using our virtual visits workflow and ramped up from less than 50 virtual visits a day to over 1,500. Both healthcare listener and virtual visits have patents pending. Also during this quarter, JAMP advanced our relationship with hospitals around the world by implementing clinical communication workflows. Cincinnati Children's Hospital, the number three children's hospital in the U.S., selected JAMP for thousands of iPhones for nurses to help optimize clinical communication and patient care. And they also used our solution to deploy iPads to patient rooms for entertainment, social connection, and access to medical information directly from their EPIC electronic medical record system. Additionally, Cincinnati Children's extended their JAMP usage to Apple TVs in patient rooms. JAMP's unique healthcare capabilities across the entire Apple ecosystem of products led to these hospitals choosing JAMP over legacy MDM solutions in order to succeed with their telehealth, clinical communication, and patient bedside initiatives. In the third quarter, JAMP also experienced strong growth in the education market, largely driven by a worldwide requirement for schools to be distance learning ready. These programs are aided through government funding like the CARES Act in the U.S., the GIGA Project in Japan, and DigiPack in Germany. In Japan, JAMP onboarded 56 school districts, which includes over 1,000 schools in Q3 alone. In the U.S., JAMP is the clear leader for Apple Enterprise Management and Education. We serve 12 of the 15 largest school districts in the United States. Eight of these schools have increased their seat count with JAMP since the COVID-19 outbreak. 
Jamf has been preparing schools for kids to learn from their homes for years, whether they knew it or not. Our Jamf teacher app provides educators with real-time classroom remote control of each student's Apple technology from any distance. And our Jamf parent app allows parents to do the same. Both these apps are designed to empower adults to help students avoid potential distractions and focus on their studies. Since the pandemic began, JAMP has further advanced our solution, including new capabilities such as teachers virtually ringing the bell in order to easily start their video classroom, and allowing students to virtually raise their hand in order to gain further assistance from educators which is valuable for students learning at home or in a classroom setting. Last month, we also launched JAMP Assessment, and an app that empowers schools to issue remotely proctored exams where it's necessary to visually supervise students, like with college placement exams or other high-stake testing, something that was not previously possible on the iPad. Sawanika Central High School District in New York used JAMP assessment this quarter to allow students to take the AccuPlacer test, a test that assists colleges in placing students in the right courses, helping them continue to build their future despite the uncertainty stemming from the pandemic. Additionally, JAMP is seeing strong interest for both Mac and iPad in higher education. The Ohio State University has been providing iPads for every incoming freshman since 2018 as part of their digital flagship program. In the third quarter of 2020, Ohio State conducted a survey that found well over 90% of their students agreed that iPads are useful for academic purposes and a valuable tool for their education. Similarly, the University of Kentucky is in the second year of issuing iPad technology to first-year students. More than 11,000 devices have been distributed as part of a wider smart campus strategy geared toward better leveraging technology in new and innovative ways. In total, over 300 universities or higher education customers have expanded their use of JAMP since the COVID-19 pandemic began. We believe this strong Apple usage in universities further confirmed JAMP's research finding that over 70% of college students would prefer to use a Mac at work if given the choice after graduation. Speaking of using Apple at work, the need to remotely and securely connect and empower employees working from their homes has continued to lead companies to choose Jam and grow their Apple and specifically Mac usage. This trend, which was gaining popularity before the pandemic, has been accelerated this year, and we believe will continue into the future. In the third quarter, JAMP advanced workflows that improved the employee experience, security, and IT efficiency through JAMP Connect and JAMP Protect. JAMP released new capabilities in JAMP Protect and announced a new version of JAMP Connect that make it easier to deploy and further streamline employee onboarding and authentication using single sign-on and biometrics with passwordless access to the Mac using Face ID from an iPhone. These advancements led to approximately 700 customers choosing Jamf Connect and approximately 200 customers choosing Jamf Protect, which was launched exactly one year ago today, 
since the COVID-19 outbreak began. In the third quarter, Upwork, Everlane, and HSBC are all examples of new Jamf Connect wins. And examples of Jamf Protect wins include Gilead Sciences, Ada Health, and SAP, with SAP having already deployed Jamf Protect to over 28,000 MacBooks. These customers are part of a fast-growing trend where organizations leverage Jamf's entire Apple Enterprise Management Platform. As part of our expansion initiatives, Jamf is now offering a new user-based pricing bundle called Jamf Business Plan, which includes Jamf Pro, Jamf Protect, and Jamf Connect across all Apple devices used by employees. Jamf Business Plan provides organizations with a complete solution that delivers a strong return on investment and lower support costs. All of these new capabilities were showcased as we closed Q3 when we hosted approximately 20,000 attendees at our virtual Jamf Nation user conference, also known as JNUC, which is 10 times our normal in-person conference attendance. JNUC is annually the largest gathering of Apple IT admins globally, and we believe this year's JNUC was the largest gathering of Apple IT admins anywhere ever. This year, we welcomed many first-timers who have not participated in previous conferences, plus an amazing 28% of attendees this year were Jamf prospects, not customers, which supports the strong and growing demand we have seen for Apple Enterprise Management. JNUC provides a forum for collaboration, and this year was no different based on the communication threads during the event and chatter that we experienced post-event. On average, virtual JNUC attendees spent more than 13 hours in the platform engaging and participating in JAMP content, and 9 in 10 agreed that JNUC 2020 met their expectations and planned to attend again if virtual next year. The theme of the conference was a year like no other, and we showcased many of the platform enhancements I mentioned earlier that are powering the learn, care, and work anywhere trends along with customer and partner stories on how they were able to succeed during this time using Apple and Jam. Apple and Microsoft representatives also joined us on stage again this year to talk about our important partnerships and what they bring to the Apple IT and security communities. We announced we are expanding our collaboration with Microsoft Enterprise Mobility and Security by launching iOS device compliance. Through this offering, which adds to our already robust partnership, organizations are empowered to choose JAM for Apple Enterprise, including device compliance and security monitoring for remote staff, and Microsoft Endpoint Manager for any other devices. As trends like employee technology choice programs and the IT continue to grow, organizations need management tools that can adapt and shift to hybrid environments while still giving the native and intended end-user experience. At JNUC, we also announced our acquisition of Mandata. Mandata's Kenobi solutions are considered the leading solution in patch management for the Apple platform. Built exclusively around Jam, Kenobi and Kenobi Pro manage software compliance on macOS, a major initiative and pain point for today's IT teams. 
We believe with JAMPS resources, we can extend these capabilities and bring even greater value to organizations using the Apple ecosystem through a complete application lifecycle management solution. We closed this tuck-in acquisition on October 15th. As we look into the future, we are excited about the continued transformation of the enterprise as the consumerization of IT results in more Apple devices empowering employees at work, educating students in school, and helping provide care for patients in hospitals and at home. While the events of 2020 have accelerated these trends, we believe we are still in the early innings of this transformation. Going forward, JAMP commits to continue innovating at the pace of Apple, supporting new operating systems and hardware on the same day it's released, including the recently announced Mac lineup based on the Apple M1 chip and Apple's latest operating system, Big Sur, which became generally available today. We believe Mac will become increasingly the device of choice for many in the workplace, especially the newest generation of workers, and that JAMP is best positioned to help organizations easily adopt and get the most out of this new technology over time. Unlike cross-platform management and security solutions that are still struggling to fully support macOS Catalina, let alone macOS Big Sur, JAMP is solely focused on Apple and for a decade has supported and extended Apple's latest innovations from the day they are available. In closing, we are excited to be a part of this movement and to support the continued growth in the large and growing Apple enterprise management market. Now I'd like to turn the call over to Jill to walk through our financial results and guidance. Jill? Thanks, Dean, and thanks again to everyone for joining us today. I'll start by discussing our third quarter results in detail before moving on to guidance. As Dean mentioned, we had a very strong third quarter. Total revenue for the third quarter was $70.4 million, growing 29% year-over-year, reflecting strong growth across all of our subscription products. Recurring revenue totaled $65.8 million in the third quarter, an increase of 40% year-over-year, and accounted for 93% of our total revenue versus 86% in the third quarter last year, while non-recurring revenue was $4.6 million. Due to product mix shift, we saw a favorable impact from products that deliver in-quarter recurring revenue as the education vertical and our JAMP Connect product outperformed our expectations. ARR, as of September 30th, was $261.5 million, an increase of 37% year-over-year. As a reminder, ARR represents the annualized value of all subscription, support, and maintenance contracts as of the end of the period. ARR mitigates fluctuations due to seasonality, contract term, and the sales mix of subscriptions for term-based licenses versus SaaS. Three primary drivers underpin the growth of our ARR. First, our consistent high device expansion rates. Second, our strong new logo acquisition. And third, the upselling and cross-selling of products into our install base. We expect to continue benefiting from these trends going forward. We believe our ability to grow the number of devices on our software platform is a key indicator of our growth and trajectory. As of the end of Q3, 
we had 18.6 million devices on our platform, representing strong growth in both the education and commercial verticals and across all major geographies as demand continues for organizations to remotely connect, manage, and protect their Apple devices. We have a history of attracting new customers and growing their annual spend with us over time, which drives our high dollar-based net retention rate. We accomplished this by adding devices to our platform and expanding our customers' adoption of our add-on products. Our dollar-based net retention rate remained strong at 117% for the trailing 12 months and at September 30, 2020. Before turning to expense items and profitability, I would like to highlight that I will refer to non-GAAP results for my remaining remarks. Our GAAP financial results along with the reconciliation between GAAP and non-GAAP, are found in our earnings relief. Gross profit was $58.2 million, up 35% year-over-year, while gross margin expanded 4 points to 83%. We expect our gross margin to increase over time as compared to the rates we delivered prior to the impact of COVID, as recurring revenue becomes a larger proportion of revenue and as an increase the average ARR per device. Turning to operating expenses, we remain focused on improving the leverage in our business while balancing our investments for growth. With the strength of our operating results year-to-date, we've been able to increase our investments throughout the organization by turning our original 2020 hiring plan back on. As a result, to date, JAMP has onboarded 250 new employees since the beginning of the year, which has been aided by leveraging JAMP's zero-touch technology in the midst of the pandemic. Total operating expense for Q3 was $46.3 million compared to $33.6 million in Q3 last year. Year-over-year growth was driven primarily by continued investments in our global go-to-market strategy, as well as investments in research and development, as innovation in both our existing and new products and features remains a top priority for us. In addition, beginning in the third quarter, we now have incremental expense related to being a public company. As a reminder, we delayed some planned spending in Q2 due to COVID and invested a portion of that expense savings this quarter. The larger portion of that savings will be invested between now and the end of the year, resulting in an uptick in spending in the fourth quarter. Our operating income in the quarter was $12 million compared to $9.6 million in Q3 last year. Operating margin was 17%, representing a half-point decrease compared to the same period last year, reflecting the investments required to be a public company, partially offset by improved gross margin. Our basic average share count was 113.2 million, and our diluted average share count was 116.7 million for the quarter, as compared to 102.8 million and $104.6 million respectively in the third quarter of 2019. Unlevered free cash flow was $28.2 million in Q3, compared to $17.9 million for Q3 2019. Third quarter unlevered free cash flow represents 40% of total revenue, up from 33% of total revenue a year ago. Our operating model of high growth and improving efficiency yields strong cash flow generation which in the third quarter also benefited from seasonally strong billings in the education vertical, which outpaced the increase in our operating cost investment. Late in the quarter, we accelerated our hiring efforts 
and expect to make further investments in the fourth quarter. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the third quarter with $177.5 million in cash and cash equivalent. And finally, we turn to guidance for the fourth quarter. Our business has seen some benefits from several trends emerging during these challenging times, including the proliferation of telehealth, remote learning, and the rise of a more permanent work-from-home movement. At the same time, there is embedded uncertainty around the IT spending environment as renewal, capital spending, and new IT projects are subject to more scrutiny across organizations everywhere. In light of these dynamics and our strong performance in the third quarter, we are increasing our full-year 2020 revenue and non-GAAP operating income expectations. For the fourth quarter of 2020, we expect total revenue in the range of $70 million to $71 million, representing growth of 23 to 25% year-over-year and a 3.7% increase from previous implied guidance. Non-GAAP operating income in the range of $1 million to $2 million. For the full year 2020, we expect total revenue in the range of $263 million to $264 million, representing growth of 28 to 29% year-over-year and a 2.9% increase from previous guidance. Non-GAAP operating income in the range of $28.5 million to $29.5 million, reflecting the increase in operating expenses related to accelerated hiring and reinvesting our overperformance back into the business as discussed earlier. For modeling purposes, we are providing the following information. We expect an annual effective tax rate of 25%. As a reminder, we use our statutory tax rate when calculating tax effects of non-GAAP adjustments, which is not materially different from our annual effective tax rate. For calculating GAAP EPS, we expect basic weighted average shares outstanding to be approximately $116 million for the fourth quarter and $109 million for the full year 2020. In closing, we are very pleased with our performance in the third quarter and look forward to sharing our results in the quarters ahead. With that, Dean and I will take your questions. Operator? Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, simply press the pound key. As stated earlier, in an effort to ask Answer as many questions as possible. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Again, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Our first question or comment comes from the line of Sterling Audi from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. I didn't know I could actually make comments. I would have prepared some remarks for you. <laughs> yeah, so I bet. Maybe <laughs> Maybe just to get started, let's talk about the education vertical in particular. Can you give us a sense of what was the mix of products that you saw most in demand? You gave some anecdotal, you know, highlights, but what are you seeing in terms of the uptake in the product portfolio specifically to education? And can you give us a sense of what was the education mix as a percentage of either bookings or revenue, whichever you feel comfortable giving? Uh, what I'll do is I'll just comment a little bit about the products. Thanks, Sterling, by the way, for the question and for joining us. Uh, and then I'll kick it over to Jill for the mix. So on products, uh, you'll recall that 
our cross-sell products of Jamf Protect and, and Jamf Connect are the primary cross-sell products we have. Those to date have been mostly selling within commercial markets. So therefore, the bookings that are occurring within education is either for the Jamf Pro product or the Jamf School product. And both uh, in Q3 just performed extremely well. Um, as, you know, uh, educators around the world have diverse needs, and one of those solutions uh, seems to fit each customer's need uh, uniquely. So both performed very, very well uh, worldwide. As far as the split of where the business comes from between commercial and education, Sterling, not too dissimilar to our, our run rates. However, education was a little bit uh, a little bit heavier than a typical Q3 because of the kind of the, the tail end of some of the, the, the COVID-related distance learning spend. Um, but our revenues, because revenue is driven by the ARR, the revenue split continues to be in the range of, you know, 60% commercial, 40% education. All right, great. And then in terms of follow-up, how should we think about 5G and the way that Apple is starting to incorporate them into their devices and as we think about, you know, M1 chip and maybe a 5G-enabled iPad, how do you expect that to impact enterprise adoption and ultimately Jamf uptake? Yeah, very interesting question, Sterling. I, I for one, think that 5G is transformative. Uh, and, again, different areas of the world are at uh, different spots um, in their maturity in that area. And there are some areas of the world that, frankly, are, 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 you know, more keen on 5G connectivity than Wi-Fi connectivity in some spots. And I think it has the potential, especially within education, to be very transformative as, you know, during the pandemic, one of the big concerns has been our students able to get connected from their homes. We have seen an uptick of LTE-enabled iPads in those situations so that educators could make sure that uh, students had connectivity from their home. And again, these would be school-issued iPads. I think with the emergence of 5G, you know, on its way, um, it could potentially be very transformative to um, both education and in uh, commercial markets uh, to just have uh, connectivity all the time that's, that's very, very uh, fast. Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Rod Hall from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hi, this is Arky on behalf of Rod. Thanks for taking my question, and uh, congrats on the solid results. Um, could you give us an update on your pipeline and the demand trajectory you're seeing? And based on your conversations with customers, how long do you expect this favorable environment to persist? Can I have a follow-up? Uh, yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, so the question being about pipeline, uh, you know, we are seeing a, a type of pipeline coverage that is very similar to what we would have expected to see had a pandemic not occurred. Um, we're very confident in our pipeline coverage. And, again, from a total coverage perspective, it's about the same as what we would have expected and what we've experienced in the past. As a matter of fact, at this moment, uh, it's a little bit stronger than it's been over, say, the course of the last six months or so. Uh, the difference is a little bit of the mix. Uh, we see, uh, obviously, a tremendous strength in education, so it's a little bit stronger uh, than normal. Uh, but um, overall, it's about what we would expect. And as we go forward, we don't have visibility to a time where that's really changing. Um, 
again, what we've noticed more than anything as the pandemic has um, progressed or the time period has progressed is, you know, the mix from a geography or an industry might shift, but the overall value remains roughly uh, about what we would have expected. Very helpful. And as a follow-up, when can we expect Jams Connect and Jams Protect for iOS? And could you also give us an update on your plans to target any other adjacent markets? Thank you. Uh, great. So on Jamf Connect and Jamf Protect, you're correct that they are designed today for Mac OS. And I would just say that it is within our strategic intent to be able to add uh, access management and uh, identity capabilities and endpoint security capabilities eventually on the uh, other Apple devices like iOS and iPadOS. I have nothing to announce in terms from a timing perspective, but strategically you're right in line of uh, uh, what we would intend to do going forward. From a markets perspective, there's a couple ways of answering that. Uh, one would be from a geographic uh, standpoint. Uh, one of the markets that is emerging for us this year um, has been Latin America, and we're very excited about its potential in the future, although it's very young for us. Uh, other markets that we launched into a few years ago, like Japan, are performing extraordinarily well. Japan was very much a highlight for us in Q3. Uh, when it comes to industries, uh, it's going to be, you know, those industries, especially that remote work is supported, that we're going to do extraordinarily well in. Uh, and then also uh, industries where iOS devices have a transformative ability to sit between customer and the provider in order, one, to keep people uh, safe, but also just to have a more efficient workflow. Those are going to be the markets that we're going to do best in. Great. Thanks, Bud. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line or from Bob and Surrey from William Blair. Your line is open. Thank you. Hey, Dean. Hey, Joe. Uh, congrats. Nice, nice job there. Um, I guess I, I want to touch a little bit on um, – Two things. One is we've obviously seen some great news about the progress of the vaccine, um, but we've also seen um, cases spike and potential lockdowns in Europe, certainly, and then, you know, potentially in the U.S. Um, you've had some deals pushed, deal cycles extended, and then obviously offset by some traction. I'm not talking about the quarter, but as you look forward, how are you thinking about the business given that environment? Do you think that we end up going back to what happened in uh, March, April, May, or do you think that actually we've sort of gotten around that, we understand how this works, and we might be able to kind of see those pipelines you just mentioned, uh, Dean, sort of actually play out a little faster with less delays? How, how should we think about what you're, you're thinking about and modeling for the future sort of strategically? Yeah, so thanks, Bobin, for your question. And, boy, I wish I could predict the future. I wish I had uh, that talent <laughs> as it pertains to the pandemic. I'm not there. You don't have I the crystal ball? Yeah, but I will remind you that, one of the interesting things with Jamf is, you know, I mean, we're really tracking on the year uh, about where we would have predicted to be last, you know, January 1. We just ended up getting there a different way. In this particular case, diversity is our friend, uh, diversity in industry and diversity in geography, so that, you know, even if there are certain areas of the business that are down, others 
for completely different reasons are up. As we've mentioned before, you know, we see the same economic headwinds uh, as do everyone else, but we've got these great tailwinds like telehealth and distance learning and work from home uh, that have really benefited our business. And going forward, frankly, I can, you know, look at areas of the business that will strengthen when the pandemic passes, and I will look at areas of the business that will strengthen uh, should the pandemic persist for a bit. I think more than anything, what we've noticed is that the pandemic has awakened industries to what is possible with technology. And we think more than anything, it has actually accelerated the adoption of work from home and industry transformation in such a way that once the headwinds persist, uh, we believe the tailwinds will will continue forward. Yeah, no, no, that's helpful. I mean, I think you're probably right there, even despite not having the the pure crystal ball. Um, yeah. I'd love to touch a little bit around partners. Um, you have a great set of partners. You've got resellers. You've got a whole bunch of interesting relationships where you've engaged despite the um, current distributed environment. I guess I'd love to understand how you think about investing more there. And what that could potentially be as a percentage of revenue long term? Again, not not any necessarily guidance, but sort of how you think that plays out over the next three or five years, given that they're so valuable and so well set up to sort of play this game, um, as long as they understand, especially including, you know, for example, the deeper relationship with Microsoft. So we'd love to understand sort of how you think about that, the investments you're making, and what that might be as a percentage of revenue. Thanks. Uh, sure. Thanks again. And you know, there's a couple of different ways to look at partners. Um, obviously, just channel partners is one of them when it comes to just splits on that. Maybe I'll kick that over to Jill to make a few comments. But overall, uh, on partnerships, of course, it's going to be part of our uh, solution consideration. You know, every single piece of new value that we want to bring to our customers, we are going to make a wise uh, make uh, partner or uh, buy uh, decision. And in, in many cases, we're going to be looking for an influential uh, partner that has an excellent solution that could accompany ours. As a matter of fact, if you go out to marketplace.jamf.com, you'll find that we have hundreds of integrations uh, with our development partners out there to bring greater value to our customers. Uh, in addition to those partnerships, of course, we have the very, you know, uh, you know, strategic partners, and the two most notable there, of course, are going to be Apple and Microsoft. On the Microsoft front, uh, if you were able to tune in to our JNOC conference uh, at the end of September, we announced uh, some excellent new capabilities along with Microsoft, uh, for instance, iOS device compliance that allows customers to choose Jam for Apple Enterprise Management and Microsoft for everything else and yet still experience all the compliance checking uh, that Microsoft has across their enterprise and the single pane of glass reporting uh, in inventory that so many organizations want. So we believe that you know, almost all of the devices in an enterprise are either Windows or Apple-based. And so by Microsoft and Jamf working together, we just make things easier for the customer. Then on channels, Jill, if you want to make a few comments. Yeah. Hey, hey Bhavan. So when we think about our indirect versus our direct uh, business, in outside of the U.S., already greater than 80% of our business comes to, comes to us through the channel. On the Americas side, however, it's around 40%, and you blend that all out. It's about a 50-50 split on a global basis. But if we think about the Americas, we definitely have some opportunity there, and that is part of our strategy going forward to look for more opportunities for more, more channel routes um, to the market. Gotcha. Gotcha. Super helpful. Thanks, guys, and uh, really nice job there. Appreciate it. Thanks, Papa. Thank you. 
Our next question to come comes from the line of Brad Seals from Bank of America Securities. Your line is open. Oh, great. Hey, thanks, guys, for taking my question. Um, wanted to ask uh, one on the dollar-based net retention. Uh, they're very healthy there in the, in the 117 range. Has the mix of, of expansion, uh, you know, changed at all since you've seen this success here with, with Connect and Protect, um, you know, uh, w- w- more towards kind of product add-on in those two categories versus, say, you know, device expansion? Any, any comment you can make on just the balance of what's driving that between devices and, and add-ons? Yeah, hey, Brad, thanks. Um, and as a reminder, our net re- dollar-based net retention expands um, based on devices and add-on products. And so specifically to address your question on the add-on products with Connect and Protect, while Protect is still too new and too immaterial to have an impact, Connect, if you think of, if you look back at our retention rates, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, we were in the 115%, 115%. And when bringing Connect on, we saw that nice little pop-up to about the 117% run rate that we've been hovering at. So being able to maintain that, so it's kind of already, uh, that growth and lift is baked in at this point. And then from here on, we'll continue to see some uplift coming from Protect as well. Got it. Great. And then um, wanted to ask about kind of early interest on some of the new vertical solutions you launched at the conference, uh, virtual visits and, and assessments. How are those tracking? What's the, what's the level of interest there, and, and, and what might that do to uh, ASP for customers? Thank you. Yeah, sure, Brad. And just for um, those are workflows that we've launched in our existing solutions, so there those are not uh, add-back sales, but rather workflows that we've released that we would get the traditional pricing for, for instance, our Jamf Pro product. So we shouldn't be thinking about those products as being, you know, add-on sales, but rather part of the expanded device deployment. To Jill's point, most of our net retention is because of device deployment. So the more that we release workflows that encourage the greater uh, device adoption, we end up growing with the customer because of that. And of those, we launched virtual visits I believe it was right around the end of March. It was just very soon after uh, the pandemic broke out. We had our healthcare customers coming to us and saying they needed a simple process that would connect patients to either uh, uh, caregivers or their families without the patients having to know how to do anything or set up each individual call. So we were able to get that out there relatively quick because of our uh, electronic medical record systems integration uh, without IT staff ever having to help. So dozens of hospitals within a matter of, you know, a month or so started uh, looking at that solution beginning their implementations. Uh, on the uh, assessments app, uh, that is an, a free app that's available uh, from the App Store. And that adoption has not taken off quite as much as what you saw with virtual visits, um, but it has really served uh, a few customers extraordinarily well to be able to observe students take a test, especially for some of those college type of uh, preparation tests. Great. Thanks so much, Dean. Yep. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Raymo Show from Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Um, two questions. Uh, Jill, uh, last quarter you talked a little bit about the slightly slower expansion of seats in the commercial space. Can you talk uh, uh, a little bit towards what you saw this quarter? And then um, on the education side, Dean, um, was that just a typical Q3 thing, uh, back to school, et cetera, or because of COVID do you think there will be kind of follow on or there will be an impact uh, Q4 and other quarters as kind of people 
kind of closed down again, send schools home again, etc. Just, just talk to that dynamic a little bit. Thank you. Hey, Raymond, thanks for the questions. Uh, when it comes to our commercial device expansion, Q3 looked very similar to Q2 with the exception of, you know, we had a little bit of a slower start to Q2 because of April. Um, and now as we think about our Q4 pipeline and what we're seeing, we're actually starting to see, uh, you know, a little bit of an expansion opportunity there where the, there's um, some of those IT budgets that were that were frozen or delayed or maybe restricted in some capacity because of cash constraints, starting to see some confidence build back up in, with our commercial customer base. And so we're hope, hoping to see a little bit of that of that um, free back up for us. Yeah, and then on the uh, – hey, Remo uh, – on the education side, uh, you're right that, of course – the the buying season for education is very heavily weighted towards June and July, which marks the fiscal year uh, move for educators in the United States. And then um, also, of course, they're preparing for the upcoming school year. And we saw those two months as being as strong as ever uh, this year. But the difference this year was that the tail of the education buying season extended into September much more aggressively than it had before, and there's a couple of reasons for that, one of which is simply the source for funding on those purchases uh, often came through government programs, and sometimes it just took a little bit of work uh, in order to get that going. We are seeing that that tail is extending even further uh, into Q4, which is a little bit unusual compared to past years as well. Um, I'm actually... You know, the next couple of quarters, we're going to see an unusual amount of education buying compared uh, to past seasons uh, through the winter. And I think there's a, a few reasons for that. Uh, one is going to be because JAMP is more global than ever in education. And if you take a look, obviously not all of them have the exact same buying season as we have here in the U.S., and we have some countries, as I've already mentioned, that are doing, you know, national deployments of technology to students, and they're still in the very early stages of those deployments. So we're anticipating that that's going to continue through uh, beyond the normal education buying season. Uh, and in addition to that, um, it's really interesting, but the pandemic has, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, has almost awakened some industries to the potential that uh, technology can provide. So while some schools had shared technology programs, uh, the, what they've done just in some isolated cases with the pandemic is realize the potential of one-to-one -one technology for students. You know, for instance, the hand-raising capability that a student can do from home Turns out that's pretty valuable in the classroom as well in order to get more students speaking up that they need help. So I think it's going to continue for a while. I don't, I think that uh, we're going to see, uh, more education buying as a percent of our overall buying this winter than we've seen in past winters. Okay, perfect. Congrats for me as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Matt Hedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, congrats as well on the ARR acceleration. Um, a, a little bit of a follow-up to, to Ramos' question on, on, on the strength in education. Uh, you know, are, are, are school districts approaching um, their contracts this year differently with, you know, obviously elevated levels of at-home? Or, you know, Dean, as you suggest, is it is it more a function like, this could be the new normal. In other words, even if kids aren't at home, 
the use of, of iOS devices in school will sort of permanently be higher than maybe what it once was, and therefore maybe the contracts are, are no different than, you know, maybe at elevated levels, but, but you wouldn't necessarily expect them to kind of sort of, you know, come bring, bring their seats down at, say, at some point. Uh, as far as the contracting goes, I think a, a very common method of contracting is actually along with a leasing arrangement that they might have from Apple for the devices themselves. And it's very frequently, actually, that those leases are for multi-year periods, and then they'll buy uh, JAMP. Uh, to use with them for that same period of time. So that is somewhat common to history, but this year maybe we are even seeing it more than ever. Uh, and no, I don't, I don't think we'll ever see on a mass scale that schools go in the reverse on the technology front. I think now that they're leasing these devices for the next several years, that is going to be something that, uh, like I said earlier, has awakened them to the potential. And there are things that you can now think about in education. Of course, we want kids ultimately in the classroom, but even the classroom environment can be helped. We actually call it, you know, technology-enabled active learning where students aren't just sitting through a lecture, but they're doing something. It's been proven that learning environments can be enhanced with that, and I think more schools are going to realize that. And then, of course, Matt, as you well know, you know, even earlier this week, we we might have had a snow day in Minnesota under normal circumstances, and who knows, perhaps snow days will be a thing of the past. <laughs> I'm sure uh, any, any, if, there's a, if there's a kid listening, they probably don't like to hear that, uh, but you're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, um, you know, as a follow-up, you know, you mentioned in your prepared remarks, uh, I think you said it was Jamf Business Plan, which to me sounds like, uh, you know, a bundled offering of multiple products. I'm just sort of curious, is that, is that the right way to think about that in terms of trying to sell sort of more products through a bundle uh, into the base and maybe make it easier to consume and, and, and price? Is that the right, right way to think about that? Yeah, we are uh, seeing a, a, just a terrific early demand for both Jamf Connect and Jamf Protect. As I mentioned in my uh, prepared remarks, that just since the COVID uh, outbreak, uh, over 700 customers of Jamf Connect are new to that solution, and over 200 customers of Jamf Protect. And this is the first year that we have the solution available. So what we're hearing from customers is they just they want it to be easier to work with us and to buy those solutions and renew those solutions. So we've come up with, you're right, a bundled offer called Jamf Business Plan where we're putting Jamf Pro, Jamf Protect, Jamf Connect all together for all of the users' devices, whether it be just Mac or whether it be iOS as well, on a usage-based pricing uh, offer, super easy to buy, super easy to renew just based on headcount. That's great. Yeah, it really seems like a great opportunity to cross-sell. Great. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Congrats again. Super. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question to comment comes from the line of Greg Moskowitz from Mizuho. Your line is open. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, hi, guys. Congratulations on a very good quarter. Um, so uh, a bit of a follow-up to, uh, to Ramo's question. Uh, you added in total 1.4 million devices under management this quarter, and I think that's the strongest uh, quarterly performance for Jamf that we've ever seen. And uh, I, I know that you don't, of course, guide to uh, uh, you know incremental devices under management on a on a go forward basis. But it sounds like Dean uh, that just uh, uh, following your comments uh, specifically around education 
and, uh, and, and sort of the longer tail that exists. It sounds like you don't sort of look at any kind of cliff event, if you will, where, you know, you might see, uh, now that we sort of exit this back-to-school period, you might see this kind of material degradation and in incremental units. It sounds like the demand drivers seem pretty solid for a little while, but I just wanted to, uh, uh, to follow up on that. Um, yeah, Greg, absolutely. Um, I do not see... I do not see uh, what's happening right now as a pull forward or a temporary uh, action. I actually see uh, it as more of an accelerator uh, to um, what technology can be used for in the future. And a lot of organizations are thinking um, kind of differently about their spend. I mean, think about it this way. Of course we know the work at home and learn from home initiatives are igniting some of this activity. But some organizations are realizing, hey, you know what? We don't have to spend as much on travel as we've historically spent, provided that people have excellent technology to where they don't have to travel. Or maybe we don't have to grow our facilities as fast as we did before, provided that people have an excellent technology environment that is their office at home. And then in many industries, uh, as I mentioned as well, uh, in order to be safe and stay open should whatever happen in the future, put technology between the customer and the consumer, between the teacher and the student, between the patient and the doctor, between the store uh, retailer and the shopper. Uh, you can go through industry by industry and realize how not only would that help keep people safe and help keep organizations open, but it will actually make those organizations more efficient in the long run. And I believe that what we've experienced in the last six months has really shown organizations that. Okay, that's really helpful. Thanks, Dean. That makes sense. And then just as a follow-up, getting back to JNUC, which um, – by the way, it was one of the best virtual conference introductions I, I've, I've seen. Uh, and I know the number of attendees that you talked about was much higher than usual, but of course, you know, there's no physical interaction, right? And so I'm just curious if you've seen any change in top of funnel versus what you typically experience after this, this, uh, after this event. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Greg. And I appreciate the compliment. And we're so proud of what our, our marketing team uh, put together, but it's really an entire company event. Uh, I would remind you that the core purpose of JNUC is to be an educational event where Apple admins can collaborate and learn, and this year was no different. We didn't want it to be a marketing event. We wanted it to be an education event. However, what we did discover is when you take cost and travel out of the equation, we were able to see exactly how many people really want to come to JNUC, and as we mentioned, it was approximately 20,000 20, attendees, 10 times what typically is, with 28% of them uh, being prospects. So... While it's an education event, yes, some people come to plan their future investments. We've already seen leads come out of it, and we're expecting more of that activity because of the very large attendance that we had. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of David Hines from Canaccord. Your line is open. Hey, Dean and Jill. Um, congrats on the, on the nice quarter. Um, Dean, maybe I could ask one about protect. Uh, you, you noted a nice win with SAP, who I, I think has been a customer for, for a while. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, kind of, what was the catalyst to get SAP to kind of act and, and, t and take on protect? You know, what, what's the early feedback been from them? And then when you talk about, you know, 28,000 protect uh, licenses, is, is that just a, a portion of their Mac base? Is there still an opportunity to grow there? Just kind of how, how are they thinking about the rollout? 
Uh, hey, David. Uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for the question. So uh, two questions there. One is just about SAP's rollout. Uh, and, yeah, they've been pretty open uh, that they're up to about 28,000 MAC, and that is their their MAC fleet. Um, but uh, SAP continues to grow their MAC fleet uh, every year, as do so many of our customers. As MAC continues to gain popularity within the enterprise, um, and especially with uh, Apple's announcements this week, we do not see that uh, going away anytime soon. As a matter of fact, we see, especially with the announcements this week and today's general availability of Big Sur, uh, we think that that is going to continue to grow. Uh, when it comes to feedback on Protect, we have been there have been some really terrific testimonials uh, that have come in that I'm sure our marketing team will get busy on making sure that we make that information public. Uh, but the the biggest thing that we've noted with our early installations is that uh, our customers have been putting uh, Jamf Protect out there for their Macs and almost instantly finding things that they wish they would have known about those Macs that the past security software that was, let's face it, predominantly Windows-focused simply didn't find. And that is because we look specifically for Mac uh, 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 exploits, uh, whether they be behaviors or whether it be malware. Uh, but because of our Apple-specific focus, um, they are finding things on their Macs that they wish they would have known ahead of time. And the user experience is still excellent because we actually have an architected for Mac solution. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then maybe a follow-up from the healthcare segment, which, which I don't think we've talked about yet, just the, the, the dynamics there. I'm, I'm curious, when you land a customer in that segment, do you, do you tend to land more expanded? In other words, like is a hospital system typically like, hey, we're an Apple organization, so you get a bunch of devices up front, or, or is there still that, you know, device penetration story that we might see kind of play out more in the enterprise market? Um, it, it's the latter. Um, it okay. is not a go in and win all uh, devices, all types, uh, on the very first day. Because what, as a matter of fact, almost more so in healthcare, it occurs over time because it's very frequent that Let's face it, for, for healthcare providers out there, if they have Mac, they're more than likely using Jamf already. And so it will be a step forward to say, hey, I've heard of what Jamf's doing either with clinical communication or patient bedside or virtual visits. I think I'd like to try that in a pilot. Uh, and then they roll it out in a pilot. After that, they might roll it out to an entire ward. After that, maybe an entire hospital. And then, of course, many uh, integrated healthcare networks uh, have many hospitals uh, under their management, so they'll roll it out hospital by hospital. So healthcare is very frequently a start smaller and just continue to grow industry. Interesting. Okay, great. Thanks for the color. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Pat Walravens from JMP Securities. Your line is open. Oh, great. Thank you, and congratulations. So one, one question for each of you, if that's okay. Um, Dean, uh, first, you know, I enjoyed your, your conversation with Jeremy Butcher at um, Jamf Nation. And, you know, between, between that and the fact that it's been six months since Apple bought Sleepsmith, I just wonder if there's anything new that you've learned about their, their thinking behind that acquisition. I know that's something that some investors were worried about. Uh, sure. Uh, thanks, Pat. And I'll, I'll pass on uh, 
uh, your thoughts uh, to our good friend Jeremy at Apple. Um, the short answer is no. Uh, there's really been uh, nothing uh, more significant that has happened around that acquisition. Uh, hasn't changed the comp- competitive dynamic at all. And the way that uh, our viewpoint of it uh, in the last uh, earnings call and our viewpoint of it uh, several months ago when we first talked about it is the same as it is today, that anything that increases uh, Apple's usage in the enterprise is great news for uh, Jamf. We don't really compete with that particular solution at all, and that we believe it's ultimately going to be uh, – used and those uh, talented individuals are going to be used at Apple just to continue to strengthen Apple's cloud services uh, that Jamf will then be able to leverage to build stronger solutions for our customers. All right, perfect. Thank you. And then, Jill, I know you, you, you very clearly have not guided to it, but I'm just wondering if there's any thoughts you would want to share with investors about things they ought to think about when they, when they look at uh, 2021. Hey, Pat, thanks. Uh, good to talk to you. And no, clearly we have not guided to 21 yet, but, you know, I, I think the thing we can think about is, you know, this was an unusual year, so as we as we exit this year, we're going to have a different exit rate than we maybe would have had on our expense base. Um, but our revenues, you know, are, are right in line with where we were expecting them to be as we exited the year. We'll continue to invest at rates that were very similar to kind of, if you think about our pre-COVID expense investment levels, um, particularly on the go-to-market um, energy and where we put, put dollars there and continuing to in, invest at a, a rate very consistent with the with prior periods in that we still have we're early in our opportunity in the TAM and so we've got a lot of a lot of customers to go and grab and so we'll continue to to spend there and then also you know continuing to spend um, invest at a similar rate in R and D as we continue to innovate on both of our existing and new technologies and then probably the only other the only thing that will be slightly different next year is of course it'll be our first year. Uh, first full year as a public company, so we'll have some incremental spend in our G&A and back office functions there. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Our last question comes from the line of Rob Owens from Piper Sandler. Your line is open, sir. Great. And under the wire. Thanks for taking my question, guys. Um, you touched on a little bit in some of your comments, but when Apple drops major operating systems and hardware updates, what's been the performance of your business historically? Have you ever seen a, a step function associated with that, or is this just driving more consumerization so it's more of a longer-term momentum opportunity? Um, yeah, thanks a lot for the question. And this is a big week. Uh, it's actually a, a terrific week. For those that uh, watched the Apple event earlier this week, you know, not only – uh, is the new Mac operating system Big Sur available today, but earlier this week, Apple announced that, you know, probably the biggest move with the Mac that they've made in a very, very long time uh, were the new MacBooks with the M1 chip uh, are coming available. And, you know, really, of all the Apple enterprise management providers that are out there, only Jamf was here the last time Apple did something like this when they moved from the PowerPC chip back in 2005 to Intel. And we helped organizations through that because, you, as you can imagine, not every single Mac uh, within an enterprise is going to move all on the same day. For a, Mac, for a couple of years, you're going to have enterprises that have a mix of Intel Macs and M1 chip 
Macs, and nobody has a larger uh, Mac inventory than does Jamf, and nobody can uh, get to information on the Macs better than Jamf. And as a result, we're going to be able to help with policy management and security and those types of things um, uh, for the next couple of years for organizations. And of course, the you know the the thing that really distinguishes uh, Jamf is that while there are companies out there right now uh, saying they're nervous about their customers upgrading to Big Sur, Jamf isn't. As a matter of fact, uh, there's you know Jamf's all around the world today upgrading to Big Sur without concern because we just know that we're going to work with it. Uh, in addition to that, the same goes for the processor. I got a little anecdotal story on that, and this will kind of reflect to what will uh, – uh, why we tend to do well when these changes occur is I bought my MacBook Air with the M1 chip five minutes after that Apple event was over. I didn't need to call anybody in IT or anybody in security to find out whether it was okay or whether it would work within our organization. I will get it within a couple of weeks delivered to my home. I'll power it up, and I will enroll it in management connection and protection at Jamf, and I will be up and running with all my data from my prior Mac and with all access and security applied inside of 30 minutes and won't miss the blip, and nobody from IT will be involved and nobody from IT will help me. That is just a new world of enterprise uh, operations that very few people exist in, and the more uh, organizations we can show that kind of simplicity to, the more Mac adoption with Jamf will grow within the enterprise. Perfect. And then regarding some of your earlier channel comments, um, are there enough channel partners out there of scale within the Apple, Apple ecosystem to, to truly drive channel leverage? And if so, what's it going to take uh, on your part? Or is it more opportunistic on more of a onesie twosie basis? Thanks. I mean, there's obviously some major channel partners out there because, uh, of course, as, as you know, in the enterprise, uh, Apple devices sell entirely through the channel. And so those organizations, um, a lot of times organizations just want to have their management and security and access controls purchased right along with the devices, and so they'll go on, on one order form into these large uh, resellers. Of course, we're also going to have, uh, you know, regional resellers around the world uh, going to market, but it's a mix. Um, in total, you know, Jamf have got, you know, hundreds of resellers that we work with, but of course, we've got the top five or six that represent a, a very good chunk of the selling. Thank you. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Dean Hager for any closing remarks. Sure. Thanks, everybody, uh, for joining today. Um, we really appreciated the questions. Um, I'm so proud of what the JAMP team members have accomplished in Q3, and we look forward to continue to help organizations succeed with Apple into the future, no matter what the future holds. Now, go out there and buy your new MacBook with the M1 chip. You won't regret it. Uh, stay safe and be well. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day.